call the roll. Uh, Cheeks? Here. Marv absent. Rich? Absent. McKinney? Present. Rummel? Present. Here, absent. Soglin? Present. Barely have a quorum. We barely have a quorum, but we have a quorum. So uh, the item before us is a discussion uh, and an update in regards to the project. And so as we've normally done, um, as we've normally done, what I'd like to do is have a presentation from uh, George Austin and any other updates. But before that, we do have a registration from Brad Minkowski either supporting or opposing and available to answer questions, which is in regards to, I believe, the letter that you received uh, probably today. So, any questions of Mr. Binkowski? Seeing none, George? Austin? She was just running up and down the stairs, getting her steps well, in, I presume. I can. <laughs> Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, we'd like to report on our progress since we last met on July 27th. Um, I'll do a you short. Do handouts of this presentation? It's on the screen. I can get some. Yeah, they were ta it was attached to Legistar, but it did not bring copies. Do we have an outline of the progress since the last meeting? Uh, we'll try to just cover it, it uh, in general progress terms and allow you then to ask questions as uh, issues uh, arise relative to the report. Um, number one, the uh, TIF application uh, from JDS Development. Uh, has been submitted and is being reviewed by city staff. Um, the TIF coordinator is working on a list of additional information that's needed uh, and the TIF analysis uh, and a meeting between city staff, uh, the TIF coordinator, as well as JDS representative. Thank you. Set, if not. Um, and we, we will be including the TIF analysis as part of the report to the Board of Estimates for your next meeting on the 24th. Regarding debt and equity commitment letters, um, they were submitted on August 29th and August 6th, respectively. Uh, we are going through the due diligence of uh, uh, talking with the uh, uh, loan officers that have executed those, uh, those letters. And um, again, we'll be um, reporting on the uh, veracity of those letters as part of our report, but they have been submitted. Number three, uh, the July 15th, um, Development agreement calls for a parking lease term sheet uh, for the private parking to be prepared, uh, and that negotiation is underway um, and it to be consistent with the July 15, 2015 provisions. And one thing that I can report is that uh, uh, as part of that term sheet, all um, there will be a charge to all users of uh, a commercially reasonable rent, including exact sciences. So the issue of the free parking, if you will, to JDS um, is under negotiation, but with the knowledge that there'll be a charge for all parking to the development uh, under the lease. Uh, number four, um, 
the parking ramp is uh, undergoing a redesign, and that has been uh, prepared and been reviewed with traffic engineering and parking utility staff. Um, the design increased the ingress and egress as requested, uh, and it identifies basically that the public parking units would be accessible essentially in the above grade portion, and the private um, parking unit would be accessible below grade, uh, essentially. There's some, some interface at the uh, at basement level one. Um, parking utility and traffic engineering staff continue to work with JDS development uh, as they work through the uh, details of the uh, 600 cars of public parking um, and providing JDS development with additional feedback uh, that will be reflected in the land use applications that are made later this month to uh, the plan commission. Uh, number five, uh, Exact Sciences and JDS have initiated the work on their transportation demand management plan. Uh, we don't have anything specifically report other than that has been engaged and work is underway and we expect to have um, some information available for August 24th, although it was not required as a condition of the project until the project commencement closing uh, targeted for December. But we, we've suggested to them that they um, begin to address uh, the key areas within that that um, they're prepared to move forward with during this August period. Uh, number six, uh, as you recall, uh, Exact Sciences has set a uh, timeline uh, and, and requested the city to um, uh, act on the, this development proposal by September 1st with a closing of the what's now being called the amended and restated agreement, the amendments to the July 5th agreement by September 15th. Uh, that exact science's timeline remains in force, but one thing that has changed since we last met with you that we've talked about since the early June meetings, that part of the equity is coming into this transaction through a 1031 real estate exchange. Um, <clears throat> that partner has the ability to use other property than what was originally proposed, which means the real estate closing does not have to happen on this expedited timeline of September 15, which means that can occur in December, hopefully, with a single closing, which allows us not to have to negotiate um, the terms of a ground lease, um, the reversionary elements during this 90-day period. So it's a very, actually a very significant element of work um, that we were able to avoid, and that simplifies the closing in many ways. So we're pleased to be able to report that um, as item six. Um, seventh, um, uh, we reported that the uh, We'd requested a draft targeted business and workforce diversity program plan uh, be submitted. Um, that was done on August 4 uh, last week. Uh, I uh, met with uh, JDS Development and um, Mr. Norman Davis of the Department of Civil Rights on August 5th to review that draft plan. Um, a preliminary construction phase business uh, targeted business participation goal. Uh, and workforce goals for racial, ethnic, and women participation were preliminary, preliminarily recommended by Mr. Davis. And he is also reviewing the plan in detail and recommending um, amendments, changes by the end of next week for us at the negotiating table to take into consideration. Um, the preliminary goal for work uh, for targeted business participation that Mr. Davis suggested was 10 percent. And 6% racial ethic and 3% women participation in the workforce. Sorry, uh, I'm sorry, say it again. 10% uh, uh, targeted business participation in the construction contracting um, and for participation in the workforce. Those actually swinging the hammers and doing the work on site, uh, building the building. 6% uh, racial ethnic and 3% women. 
participation goals in the workforce, is what Mr. Davis uh, recommended um, preliminarily. Uh, number eight, um, JDS Development has initiated discussions with organized labor regarding a project labor agreement for the construction phase, and we were reported to us that they anticipate using such an agreement um, based on those initial discussions. Uh, number nine, um, as we reported last time, there were three terms that the city has suggested uh, that would constitute the uh, basis of a labor peace agreement uh, for JDS development's consideration. Um, I need to report that they have not agreed to this language at this time uh, and that we continue to, to work on that, um, but there's not been an, an agreement relative to uh, those provisions as of this point. Um, and then last but not least, interim parking, uh, public parking during construction. Yeah, I can talk about that. Obviously, that's a um, big task for us to look at, and we're um, starting but have a long way to go. I just want to point out that the Government East uh, parking structure currently consists of 520 parking stalls. I believe about 119 down to 107 of those spaces are to monthly parkers, so contract monthly parkers. The remainder are to people who are in and out, so they're the, the hourlies. And a vast majority of those, 78%, are there for three hours or less. So as we talk about parking solutions, it's not just moving monthly parkers or people who are workers downtown, but we're really looking at the government east's clientele are those people who are coming here for shorter periods of time. We also know that there are peaks at times when Monona Terrace has conventions or um, meetings, particularly when we have associations that are statewide associations and a lot of people drive their car. And so we really are looking at how we become more fine-grained in our assessment. What are those solutions for those days of the year where we have um, large conventions in town. How often are they? Uh, the Convention and Visitors Bureau has been nice enough to provide me with their bookings for 2016 and 2017 so we can get an idea of what days will we really have uh, serious uh, needs for a lot of parking and what days are we just looking at the regulars. Um, so we'll continue to work with um, Monona Terrace and the Convention and Visitors Bureaus on solutions for those high peak times. We also are uh, talking with the people at Urban Land Interest about the potential of using spaces at Anchor Bank. When those um, stalls come online, they expect to start construction this fall and have the parking portion completed in uh, November of 2016. So instead of having a period of time, 17 months, we might be able to work out a way for them to work with hourly parkers. And that would take us from March, when we're currently slated to demolish Government East, to October, November, um, when we would have no other additional capacity. Um, we'll explore further with the development team about delaying taking down the Government East ramp and seeing if we can speed up that Government East ramp in some other way later on so that we can try to narrow that window um, between the time we get some relief from Anchor Bank. We've called any number of developers or property owners in the area who have apartment parkers to see if we could figure out a way to use their spaces during the day when people generally don't have their cars there and have not been successful in that. So we've, we're looking at being very specific about what the needs are and looking at some solutions, but we don't have um, any, uh, any 
broad solution at this time. Questions? Very good. Let me, can I start out with a question? Um, we've had a lot of commentary on parking and its efficiency, and I'm not going to outline all of the positions of criticism, but let me take the extremes, which is the project has too much parking from the standpoint of uh, trying to get a balance mode in the downtown area to uh, the hotel has provisions for, I think, one quarter of the amount of parking normally associated uh, with a Madison area hotel, which might vary based on whether or not you're in a former cornfield or you're in a more urban setting. What's the response to all these numbers and criticisms? Are we developing a hotel with, to start with, too few parking spaces? The theory behind the 50 stalls dedicated to the hotel was we will have 1,250 parking stalls on a single, essentially a single ramp on the site. And that through a concept of shared parking, the overall demand created by the hotel can be met through the dedicated spaces and the shared management, shared parking management of particularly the private unit spaces. Um, we're in the process of verifying whether those ratios, as indicated in your July 7th or July 9th resolution, um, are, can, can be made to work. Um, and we're hopeful to have that answer before August 24th. But um, many of the hotels that are cited as having larger parking, um, some of the ratios are under uh, uh, 50%. Um, none approach the number we're suggesting here for Judge Doyle Square, but also many of those hotels were built in, frankly, a different era or were built in uh, sites that aren't in the core of the city. Um, so we continue to explore that. We think that we think we're on the right track, whether we've hit that number at 50, right? We'll hopefully we'll have more information for you shortly. Um, the street system will only handle so much traffic and Judge Dale Square isn't the only contributor to uh, the availability of the network to handle the traffic. Um, so the, um, the, the scale of the ramp uh, is a very important issue. Uh, and one of the reasons that the negotiating team worked very hard to drive that number of private parking stalls down from what requested 800 to 650. And your request is, and translated to the negotiating team, that exact sciences work to create a transportation demand management plan, which they've agreed to do and have taken the initial steps to begin to work on that. So we think, again, we're on the right track to manage the demand in a way that can, first of all, remove this free parking um, uh, quotation marks around the parking that was uh, earlier talked about um, and can encourage multi-modes as part of the um, exact sciences location at this site. I would say it's probably none of this is a perfect solution. But we have to be. We have to also worry about, you know, in, def, in defense of the perfect, losing the good. And we think that we've, we're trying to find the right set of equations where we can create a ramp that works well, that uh, can be managed efficiently, um, and meet the expectations as development has. 
Additional questions, Alderwoman Rummel? So, George, thank you for con con still working on verifying those ratios. What if you find that it's not enough? What, what, are, what are our options? Uh, uh, looking at different ratios within the ramp, if possible, um, we do not know the build-out of the, um, the office space and in terms of the number of employees. We know what exact sciences is committed to. Um, it's possible through demand management we can, we can free up additional stalls that had not been planned uh, for in the original model. The 50 would go to the hotel and 600 would be entirely used by the office users during the day. So I think there's some, there's some play there, Alder, that, um, that, that could come into uh, the equation. Um, I would say that's probably our primary approach. Following up on Mayor's question, uh, I have a chart here on the ratio of parking stalls to guest rooms in the downtown area. And passing them around. And in terms of the, as you said, older hotels, the newest hotel downtown, the Hampton Inn, is a one-to-one -one ratio. The Edgewater is about 67%, and the Hilton is 60%. I mean, really, the outlier by far here is the JBS Hotel. And in addition to the government East Grant being down, what we'll also have is the addition of all the new employees for exact science at a time when we're most efficient. So how does that, I mean, in terms of the sort of the policy yeah. that you were talking about, you sort of miss no. three or four hundred employees that are different to everything else. Well, at this point in time, the parking is supposed to be, if, if with the demolition of Government East starting in March, the parking should be finished on July of 2017 when Exact comes downtown. What I had talked about was looking at trying to delay Government East coming down for a couple of months and figuring out whether we can stage in Exact Sciences since they won't show up with every bit of their workforce. Since there are some parking spaces that Exact's not going to be using in their first phase in the structure, but to really manage when those spaces come offline and when Exact needs all of their parking to be done. But at this point in time, the plan with a marsh demolition gets parking online when Exact moved downtown. The new, parking is online. the new parking is online when exact opens. Not just one floor. Not just one floor, the whole structure. Mm -hmm. well, the only thing I would add is that, yes, you're correct, that ratio is an aggressive ratio. Um, we think it reflects uh, seeing where the market uh, is moving in terms of the types of hotels that are near a convention center and the type of occupancy. For instance, the Hampton Inn is located over near the campus district. It's a single-purpose ramp to service the hotel. This hotel will be integrated into a very large development with 1,250 cars of parking and integrated into the development. So there are increased opportunities for shared parking, and we think it's good public policy to push a little bit to try to achieve um, a shared parking environment that happens in other cities. And that, that's what we're trying to verify, that that, in fact, is a reasonable ratio. And back to Alder Rummel's question, that we can actually make it work at the 
that to 50. Uh, this is a ratio that would be common in New York or Chicago downtown, uh, not for Madison, where, as, as you mentioned, um, where much of the business presumably would be related to Monona Terrace, and most of their uh, users are people who drive to town, not, they're not fly-ins. Uh, I spoke to the director of the Concourse Hotel, and he said that he believes he's the largest user of the ramp, which one it's called, <laughs> across the street from it. Mm -hmm. uh, he's the largest user mm -hmm. of that ramp because at, at seven, at point seven, he doesn't have enough parking there. And I think they're sort of uh, what the clientele for the JDS and the clientele for Concourse would probably be similar needs with similar transportation. Your point's well taken, and I think, it's, as you've heard us say a couple of times, we're trying to verify that. <laughs> Further questions? All in clear. I'm interested in details about the TIP application and the, uh, the other financial documents, which I presume would be appropriate for closed session. Well, let's, let's hold off, maybe open yeah. close. Let's see. Um, but let's say focus right now on um, other questions that are related to parking or whatever. I guess I've got a general question for you, Natalie, and maybe George. Uh, you might want to comment, given your previous work as director of the city's plan department. and. Um, so we, we, we've got a city, an urban setting. We're not dissimilar from a lot of other metropolitan areas where we are trying to contain sprawl. We are trying to uh, develop uh, a firmer base for non-automobile-related utilization, particularly downtown. Again, we're in competition with suburbs. And all of that tells me we want to have more compact design and more compact utilization of residential, commercial, and that if a project like this can't work, the economics of it, basically we ought to throw in the towel and acknowledge that urban sprawl, more pollution, more cornfields paved over in Verona, Middleton, and Sun Prairie is inevitable. And we should just give up. Well, I would say we have a demographic right now of, of people who are choosing to live in more or urban environments or in environments where they can access more things without driving their car. So we've seen that. Um, if you take the downtown, this is complicated and it's difficult and we may not get it exactly right. Um, but in my view, if you can bring major employment to downtown, we already are getting major housing downtown. So if you can get that employment and that housing close to one another, you have a much higher probability that somebody is going to choose not to take their car to work. 
Um, if you look at building this number of jobs um, in the suburbs or in the research park, let's say, or some other location, it's much less likely that somebody would take the bus there because once they get off the bus, they have to walk much further to the office building. So bringing jobs to this location increases our probability of fostering people who will take the bus because it's convenient, will take their foot because they happen to live here. Um, I don't think we can afford to throw in the towel. We only have so much land in the city of Madison to develop. Um, and if we can do this type of infill development, higher density, mixing of uses without overly taxing our roads, every parking space we, drive, we build, the person has to drive on the road to get into it. And in the morning, it's probably not an issue, as Mr. Benkowski tells me. It's at the afternoon when almost everybody leaves between 4.30 and 5.30. That's really that crutch time. Um, and so we have to be conscious of all of the development we're doing, all of the parking that we're putting in, and what that does is people have to drive on the road to get there. Since you mentioned buses, let me also make the observation that if we were going to generate a site with 500... 600 new jobs, we are much more efficient if they are downtown and we add the bus ridership to picking and dropping off those people at a central downtown location than half as many people in a peripheral location. Okay, anything more on transportation or parking? All, Alderman Rummel? Just a quick question to remind myself and somebody here I don't know is. How, how, how many stalls are in the Monona Terrace ramp? 560, I believe. I may be off. And then um, several alders here are on TPC, and I just kind of hear anecdotally that conversations there, are, are, you know, maybe have a lot of questions, and I'm wondering if, you know, when we have the new parking utility manager here, maybe for the first time, I'm wondering if we could just talk a little bit about the comments and concerns that people are hearing at TPC is related to this to make sure we're aware of any that conversations because these are anecdotes and I don't really know what's you know necessarily real from all that. Alder Schmidt. Um, anecdotes are probably pretty accurate actually. They're not dissimilar from what <coughs> you've heard here. They're similar, similar concerns to what you've been hearing here. Um, and the primary concern of course has been protecting GE itself and replacing that, followed by not putting anything in competition with government east, with the parking utility. So not enabling competition with the parking utility. Um, aside from that, they haven't gotten any more detail than we've gotten at bodies like this. So that's generally where the questions have, have been. And Alder Kimball can correct me if I'm missing anything, but I think I've got just a bit. I'm just so what is the process to approve it at TPC? Is that a, a parallel to what we're doing here? or? Um, actually, the, well, the TPC is subservient to the council as far as the garage goes. If the council decides to do something with the garage, build a garage a certain way, we make decisions about the money. TPC doesn't have power over that specifically like it does over some transit things has power that the council doesn't necessarily have. Um, all those are relatively minor, but what the TPC can do with uh, Metro. Um, what about design? Just control, what about design? 
Uh, it's really going to be coming from the management. Um, we don't have, TBC does not have the driver's seat on designing this garage, so. Oh, I, yeah, but also we haven't been in a position where TBC has had to make decisions, major construction decisions about a garage in quite a while. The last time would have been the State Street Capital ramp when they added to that, and that was 20 plus years ago now. So, or maybe the um, uh, Francis garage. So what do you think will give comfort about the concern about competition? The future lease that we haven't seen? Or other I mean, that, that's the kind of thing, whatever we get, the, their level of concern is the same or higher. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the avenue that's being pursued right now. So, Can I talk to that? One of the, in the current design, the, there, the, there were comments from staff about the design of the ramp. It's been redesigned and is still going through additional refinements. However, in the current design, the private parking is down low and the public parking is up high. And there would be, you take a ticket, all the gates would look the same. You take a ticket and go down. And if you're going to your monthly parking space because you're in the office building, you'd go through a second gate with your ticket and go in there, which is really meant to make it most likely that those hourly parkers, which is really what government E serves, get pushed into the parking utilities spaces. And really somebody who would have to, you know, fill those spaces up before they would push through that gate. They'd still have overflow, so you could use your ticket and go into those monthly parking spaces, um, and it could keep track of who was getting paid. But the current design and the ticket system and the gates for the private parking are really meant to push those hourly parkers into the utility spaces. Hey, Alderman Revere? On parking? Yeah. I just want to know what we got before we get to Alderman Clear's question, but go ahead, please. Yeah, I just have a couple of questions for open session about the interim GE replacement parking. If I could, first, I think just a simple correction in the memo that we received tonight uh, as it relates to interim public parking during construction number 10. There, there is no, as some of us well know, in a battle scars, still there is no mid-state street parking ramp. So in the sentence that says the parking utility will be moving monthly contract parkers to the mid-state street parking ramp, I don't know if we can ask Scott and David, but I presume that's state street capital ramp. They go all the way to Lake Francis. Okay, that's, and I realize it probably isn't fair to Madison City Channel and those viewers that the answers are from the peanut gallery, but that the response from the the manager and assistant manager of our parking utility was that their intent for the, it's, I guess, currently 107 monthly GE parkers is that they'd go all the way to the State Street campus ramp, the Lake Francis ramp, which I think is quite a hike, but I don't know. Anyway, uh that's question one, so just a correction for the report for the great title of the ramp. And then uh, question two, Natalie, since you covered this uh, issue of convention and special events occurring 
and currently utilizing GE parking and the information you received from the GM CVB. In, in that discussion and in the work that you and your colleagues have done in trying to explore options during the construction phase, do we have any sort of answer from our friends at Alliant Energy Center as to whether or not their parking would be available, especially during these peak convention special event times for shuttle service? We haven't asked them yet. We're really working on what the specific ask is, so that's something to be done in the next several weeks. Okay, but that's obviously part of the plan to, yes. to check on. Okay. Well, it goes without saying, I'll just editorialize for a second, if I might, that, and that the letter from the large downtown commercial landlords um, that we received today is, you know, just the latest example. But in the two weeks I was gone on vacation um, and just returned, I've continued to receive emails from concerned folks that have businesses downtown wondering what will happen during the construction phase for all their customers that currently park at GE. So it's a real issue that we all know and need to do our best to address. Um, and I think my other questions are best for closed session, Mayor. Thank you. Alder Cheeks. Um, question I think is for Natalie. Uh, based on the ratio of parking that we're discussing, and I understand that we're going to continue to uh, try to understand whether or not this is reasonable, um, when we say reasonable, um, is one of the things that we're concerned about uh, whether or not um, having such a, a small ratio makes it more difficult to secure like, a flagship hotel? It's a good question. I don't know the answer. I can ask and, and talk to some folks about what that ratio would mean to both securing businesses but also the, the uh, flag. Yeah, I think that would be relevant. Thank you. Other questions other than financial? Alderman Rummel. Maybe this is financial, but I'd like to hear on the 1031 exchange, like what other properties, or is it, uh, let me clarify what your number six said. <coughs> and it is good news. Um, to implement a 1031 exchange requires that the properties be exchanged within a very specific period of time. And as we understand it, the properties that were selected initially in June um, had to be concluded by early September. And as you know, this has been a issue for the city from the get-go because of what it means in terms of the negotiation process and really putting us in an uncomfortable position, frankly, to sell property and lease it back before the project actually starts. But we've been trying to work to find a way to do that. Um, I think that probably in reality, the, the difficulty of achieving this on the developer side became apparent as this timeline marched on. And so it's not something we've been involved in, but they're, they have other properties because they're a large property owner um, that they can exchange without the, the penalty of this very short timeline. So it was, it was good news. It, all around. it did not give me much comfort to do that, that finagle, so thank you. Hold on, Cheeks. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, uh, 
just just to make sure I heard you correct on number eight and number nine. Um, on number eight, I think you're essentially saying that um, we're making project, progress on a project labor agreement and, and hope to have something specific for the 24th. That's correct. And on number nine, um, on the labor peace agreement, you you said that um, we have articulated some requests that we um, haven't heard anything positive yet. On. That's correct. Okay. That reminds me, uh, Kevin, um, there's going to be a meeting, hopefully, uh, in a week or two on this issue, and I hope you can attend. I'll get you the details. Don't let me forget. Thank you. Um, okay. Anything else other than financial? All right. Alden Clear, you want to start with the subject you wanted to raise, and let's just see where we're at on that. Well, I'm just interested in more details, especially on the TIF application. Um, as you know, several callers in this room uh, had concerns about the level of detail in the TIF application. Your summary says that, that Joe is putting together a list of further information. Can you give us more about that now? Do we need to be in closed session? No, I think we can give you more. Okay. Um, we received the TIF application and did not have all of the information. And it's not uncommon for, particularly in a transaction like this, where we have multiple pieces. We have a jobs TIF. We've got a um, garage that we're building. We've got it right down on the land. And really, what are all the information that you need? Um, so Joe has taken a look at it, and Matt uh, McLejewski and Joe and I have sat down and talked about, okay, what are all the questions that you have? And we've requested additional information, particularly in regards to the parking revenues and expenses, because we really need to look at how the office building, the hotel, um, and the parking work together financially. You can't really tease those things apart. Um, and we know that uh, JDS has that information. We just haven't received it at this point in time. There's also any number of questions um, about all of the things that go into the valuation, uh, the expenses that are assumed on the capital side, as well as the operations. So we're working through those details. And essentially the same question about the documentation that we received about the equity and debt um, participation on the project. Could you give us a little more detail about what's in there? And I know, George, you said that there's still due diligence going on uh, on that, so maybe you don't have much to say about it yet. But um, does it seem to be complete? Um, is there more information you think we're going to need to better understand what's in those documents? We're in the middle of the process, okay. so we don't have a, a complete answer to give. Um, first and foremost, the documents that we talked about in previous sessions, uh, we've received the, those first drafts, both from equity um, in terms of, uh, I believe it's uh, approximately $43 million of equity that would be required for the developer to bring to the table to do the, uh, all phases of the development. Um, and we've received the debt side from, um, as of Thursday, of a commitment letter, um, which would provide the equity finance, I mean, the debt financing for phase one of the project, approximately $40 million to build phase one, the exact sciences tower on block um, 88. Uh, as part of that commitment letter, um, 
the lender uh, has um, indicated that the developer has provided evidence of the ability to provide the private equity involved to their satisfaction. Um, and as a requirement of the um, commitment letter, the developer would have to provide all $43 million for the entire development at the closing in December, even though that all of that equity would not be utilized for phase one of the project. And that's just a risk mitigation, same as Alder Aarons has been after us to identify throughout this process. Um, that's something that we're very pleased with because they would have to provide it either in a form of cash or marketable securities. Well, we'll demand it, but uh, right. <laughs> um, we have backup essentially on that. That's correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you. Any more questions in this area? Alderman Aarons? Um, but in the in the letter from Greenwood, um, there's no mention of the liens on that are being filed against Edgewood Hotel. Mm -hmm. Do you think that'll be part of a contingency that those be cleared before? Um, I don't know is the, the honest answer. Uh, based on our preliminary discussion with one of the signatories today, it did not come up. Any other questions? On the jobs TIF piece, um, are we making sure that we're getting information from them either to demonstrate why they get a gap analysis waiver or information for a gap analysis because that was not present at all in either form in the documentation. We had that discussion today about whether we would look at the waiver or whether we're just going to look at a gap analysis. So if you give us a little bit of time, we'll work through, but your point's a good one. Okay. They, they, either, they either need a waiver or they have to do the gap analysis, one or the other. Right. Mm -hmm. They need to justify the waiver. If they Perhaps. Anything else? We're holding off on Alderman Revere's questions. If not, Alderman Revere, you want to start, and we'll see if we can do it in open session. If not, we'll shift. I think I'd prefer closed session, actually. Okay. Am I the only one that has closed session questions? I guess so. Well, that's the case. There's no other questions at this point. We need a motion to go into closed session. Alderman Cheeks. I make a motion to go into closed session. When I get a second, I'll read through the thing. Second. Can you read the whole language so we do it right? I will. Oh, you did. Thank you. Um, when the Board of Estimates considers the following item, it may go into closed session pursuant to Section 19.851E, Wisconsin Statutes, which reads as follows. Deliberating or negotiating the purchasing of public properties, the investing of public funds, or the conducting of other specified business whenever competitive or bargaining Reasons require a closed session. If the Board of Estimates does convene in closed session as described above upon completion of the closed session, notice is hereby given that it may reconvene in open session to consider the following item without waiting 12 hours pursuant to Wisconsin State Statute 19.852. There's a motion and a second on the question. We need a roll call vote. Cheeks? Yes. 
Uh, Eskridge? Aye. McKinney? Aye. Rummel? Aye. Here? Aye. Any other side vote? We're going to go into a closed session.